arms and welcome you're listening to the Sacred Footsteps podcast. Sacred Footsteps is an online publication and podcast devoted to alternative and spiritual travel, history and culture from a Muslim perspective. Join us while we talk to writers, historians, artists, as well as a whole host of other people about travel as a spiritual practice. Assalamu alaikum and welcome. Today we're joined by an old friend, Bashar Taba. He is a British Jordanian traveler who's spent the last 15 years traveling and photographing over 380 locations. His first publication was titled A Map and Lens, Jordan, and his latest project is titled The Noble Sanctuary, a book that explores the history and landmarks of the Al-Aqsa Mosque complex in Jerusalem. Today, though, in this podcast, we discuss the sacred sites of Jordan, some that you may know and others you may not. My name is Bashar Tabar. I'm a uh, British Jordanian. Uh, I've spent my entire life in Jordan, and I'm a historical photographer. Um, I've been exploring the world at large and also like the Muslim and Islamic world uh, for the past 15 years. And um, in the last few years, I've actually published, uh, I published my first book in 2018. And since then, I've been working on a multitude of other books, <laughs> maybe three or four other ones. What's the uh, name of the first book? Uh, the name of the first book is called A Map of the Lens Jordan. And uh, the subtitle is Sights and Scenes, Stories Untold. And it's basically a documentation with beautiful photography of um, about 120 historical and religious sites in Jordan. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm really interested in this topic because I feel like I'm familiar with that, with the region. But Jordan is, is one that I have, I have to admit, I have a lot of holes in my knowledge. So I'm willing to learn a lot. So maybe if we go through your first book and you can talk about what's, what's your upcoming work on Jordan and, um, and we can focus around maybe what's there to see, what should people be, be visiting when they go to Jordan? Because the, one of the reasons, I'll be honest with you, I haven't visited Jordan is because if you look at the re- surrounding countries, there's a lot of known historical significance and religious significances of, of Palestine, Syria, yeah, there's the draw, the draw, like, yeah, uh, I get it. Like, Jordan's over, sometimes overlooked because uh, first, there's not really much of a push to promote these religious sites in Jordan, even though we have almost about 40 sites that are recognized. Um, and we're talking about religious sites. We're talking about all three of the Abrahamic religion sites, you know, that are connected to them. Um, but like it's sort of like you know left to the side, like you said, like you know you've got Damascus, you've got Jerusalem, you've got these, uh, you know, obviously you've got Saudi and everything important there. Um, but that like doesn't really take away from Jordan because if you look at a map, Jordan's in the middle of all of this, so obviously things are going to happen and people are going to cross through and you know events are going to occur. Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And when you say when you say religious, you said all three religions. So if we focus. We can maybe touch upon some of the other the other two religions as well, but my interest is mostly in, in the Islamic side. Mm-hmm. And throughout my travels in 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 Syria, it and I studied the movement of Muslims. So maybe if we um, maybe before we go into that, maybe if you can just tell us how you got into this work, and and what led you to be, I get I guess explore explore this side of Jordan. Was it out of educating people like myself who may know a little bit? Like oh, um, mind, but nothing, nothing more. If I'm being honest, yeah, uh, yes, this is true. Like, so basically, um, it's interesting. So, you know, I grew up and I've spent my entire life in Jordan. Uh, I've done 
I used to do, I do like occasional trips to the UK, um, but I do have connections there. But when I was a child, my mother's family used to come and visit and we used to end up going out and traveling all around Jordan where she would show them all these beautiful sights. And, um, you know, bit by bit when I was younger, I started picking up a camera and exploring. And I think around 2004, my mom actually bought me a camera. And I remember I used to skip university <laughs> to go out and take pictures of all these places because when you're surrounded by hundreds of, you know, not thousands of archaeological sites, it's just a wonder. and It's so easy to access. There's things everywhere. And um, I think around 2014, I was really, I really wanted to make a book. And I, I was going around exploring Jordan and I decided, well, you know, I've got these guidebooks. I want, I'll start exploring it more and more and expanding. And the more I expanded, the more I re learned that there was so much out there. Like you said, like, you know, people generally know Petra, and sometimes you know, the more knowledgeable will know a couple of the sites up north, but like there's a lot to be seen. And so I set out to create this book that sort of educated people about the country, uh, the country's other wealth. You know, like, you know, we have, you know, so much, so many sites from antiquity, from early Islam, um, you know, and it's just, it's remarkable. And so that, so to answer your question, yes, that's why one of the reasons why I did push to make this book was to, you know, educate people. Yeah. Okay. That's and, amazing. Yeah. And it was also a bit of an education for myself because it was, you know, exploration, which I love and rediscovery of these sites through my camera lens. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. When I think of Jordan, I think of, and, and you can judge me here. I think of, you fly to Amman, you spend a couple of days in Amman and then, and then you do the Petra, you do these old ancient sites. Yeah. And then, and then maybe you go to Palestine and then maybe not, but then you come back this seems to be the the most popular route that I've heard people take. Yeah. So, so let's go through what is it more to Jordan and uh, and and what should people be look, looking at. So if I'm going to Jordan tomorrow and I say to Bashar, I'm, I'm going to spend a week to ten days in Jordan, and my interest is is history and, and Islam, and and uh, I've been to Palestine, I've been to Syria, I've been to Hijaz. What is left in Jordan? What should what should my focus be on, or what, what should I know about your country that I guess I guess maybe people are are not aware of? And that's a big question. So we can. It, it is a big question. Down. Yeah. <laughs> we well, can I, I mean, I, I get this. I get asked this often because now people are starting to be, recognize me a bit of an as an expert because I've I just I've non I've been nonstop exploring the country for a good ten years now. Um, so it's 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 interesting, you know. I usually the first question I ask people is, "What particular era of history are you interested in?" Because you know we have around six, you know, good lump eras of of history in the in the country. Um, of course, you're going to be asking me about uh, Islamic, and you know, I would say, um, in terms of if someone was to come to Jordan and say, like, "Abashar, I'd like to see the Islamic sites," I would say, "Well, you know, you've got a lot." Um, but I like to lump certain areas in, for example, like, you know, in the Jordan Valley, um, there's one long highway and along it, there are buried at least six Sahaba, uh, including Abi Ubaidah bin Jarrah, um, who is, you know, extremely significant figure in this in early Islamic history. And it's a beautiful drive up the Jordan Valley. And, you know, it's a very educational and it, like it starts with the baptism sites which includes not only the baptism site, but like, you know, the site of uh, Nabi Elias, you know, Elijah, where, who ascended to heaven on a chariot of fire and is in Islam is regarded as, as one of the immortals. 
Yeah. So, so uh, I just let me just step back for a second. So maybe rather, if there's an overlap, let's 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 discuss the Christian and Judeo sides as well. I yeah. I feel like because we do have a huge overlap, it'd be a shame to yeah. not mention <laughs> them. So you said you would define them in six periods. Yes. What are those uh, periods? So we have like you know early history. Um, so that's you know pre uh, prehistoric eras, Stone Age, Iron Age, Bronze Age, and then you have antiquity which includes the Romans, Byzantines, and the Nabataeans in Jordan. And then after the Byzantines, of course, we have the early centuries of Islam. Um, after that, we have like the, the, um, the chaotic era, which is the Crusaders, the Ayyubids, the Mamluks who crossed through the area. And then, you know, end up with the Ottomans. Um, so that's, so those are the usual eras that I like to split, you know, break it up into. And even in, like in my book, I actually separated the Nabataeans because they played such a significant role in the area. Uh, in Jordan's history, um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Let's, let's go through the let's go through the arrival of Islam into Jordan, and then we can go through some of the sites. Okay. Who, who was the? Do, can you tell us about the early Arab armies? Who was who was leading that charge into into that into the Jordan region, what we call today Jordan, and I, what were the first, uh, I guess, yeah, established sites. Yes. Uh, so well, one of the first things I should point out is um, we have one of the earliest messengers of Islam. Um, uh, if you ever, if, uh, you know, uh, li the listeners will probably know who he is, uh, Farawa bin Amru. And he was one of the earliest messengers who was dispatched by the Prophet out to the world to send messages to the regional kings to submit to Islam. And uh, he was... Um, uh, what he got captured by the local Christian Hassanic tribe uh, around an area in the south of Jordan called Tafila, and he was killed, which prompted, uh, you know, uh, the uh, uh, the Sahaba and the Prophet himself to dispatch a army up north. Um, and the first major battle in Islam is known as Al Mu'ta, and that's also happened in the south. And it is also the battle where three of the uh, three famous uh, Sahaba fell. We have uh, Jafar bin Abi Talib, who's the most sah famous Sahabi who passed away there. And he's also known as uh, Jafar al-Tayyar, the winged one. Um, the second uh, companion who passed away out there was uh, Zaid bin al-Haritha. And the third was uh, Abdullah bin Rawaha. And so that area is very much venerated at the moment. Like we have, a, it's actually been renamed over the centuries as Mazar, which uh, is just south of the battle site called Mu'ta. So that was one of the first uh, the first engagements, and it was one of the first you know Muslim uh, victories that pushed into uh, Jordan and defeated a Byzantine army. That's fascinating. Okay, that's mm -hmm. this is okay. So that's the Byzantines were defeated, and that's when the Muslims that, or the, the Arab had a foothold now in that region. And that, that it wasn't really a foothold. It was the, it was the first major defeat. The real foothold happened later on. A couple of. Um, a couple of years later at an area called Tabakat Fahil or Pella. And that was the first major defeat where we actually, you know, pushed uh, the Byzantines back and, you know, they had to push, pull back into Syria and reorganize. Fascinating. Okay. And yeah. once Islam, Islam, Islam became established in it, just, just walk us through quickly. So you mentioned the, um, so obviously you had the, the Umayyad, Umayyad dynasty. Uh, yes. Did we, did we just walk me through? So then, was it similar to Syria? Did the Abbasids come in? So then... uh, the Umayyads, the Umayyads had a really strong foothold in Jordan because we have a series of of desert fortifications that they constructed through throughout their dynasty. 
Um, and I and some of the theories behind these, if you have ever heard of uh, Qasr Amra, yeah. or uh, it's it's a Qusayr, which is a small palace uh, that one of the caliphs had, has, had built, and it's got these beautiful frescoes and murals painted inside. And it's in it's it's in such an early version of Islam where we hadn't established our own um, art and architecture. So when you walk in, you know you you see it's like the murals are painted in a very Byzantine style, where clearly they had brought in Byzantine artists because it was so early on. It's very interesting. Yeah, this is um, I'm familiar with this. This is the this is I think it was brought by Walid Walid ibn uh, Jazid. Yeah, um, I think it was Walid the, th- the second, possibly if I recall correctly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're absolutely gorgeous. So there's all these beautiful, and they had a really strong foothold. And one of the theories behind this was because the Umayyads was one of the first earliest dynasties. They want, they needed to have maintain their connection to the Bedouin tribes in the desert, and so they would frequently depart the major cities that they held, like Damascus, and come out to these desert castles and you know hunt and meet, uh, maintain meetings with you know the local tribal elders and things like this. Um, the uh, the following dynasties after them they didn't re- like after the Umayyads we do have the Abbasids who actually plotted the overthrow of the Umayyads in southern Jordan in a place called Humayma and uh, it's it's uh, mostly ruins now but that's where the whole you know they they, they you know gathered their for not the forces but there they decided that they were going to overthrow the Umayyads and you know uh, basically plant the whole thing out. That's this typical typical Abbasid period. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's a, just just yeah. So the Umayyads, and this is this isn't really a history lesson into the Umayyads or the Abbasids, but the first. So I, just to summarize or explain, so you have the Rashidun, and after the the Khalifa of uh, Ali uh, ibn Talib al-Dhanhu, you had then had the Umayyads, I guess, shortly after formulate, and then the Abbasids. And the Umayyads, and I'm working on something on the Umayyads at the moment. So the Umayyads are from the family of Abu Sufyan. Yes. And, and then you're the, who were very Arab-centric, right? I think if I if I remember from the study of why the Abbasids, there was a lot of discontent amongst the rule, um, the population in the Umayyads because the Umayyads were ruling very much in their own Quraysh, Arabic, Arab style of, yes. we are yes. the dominant. And and all of you, the different minorities, uh, the new converts, the Muslims from Persia across the, the Muslim world, were, they were not given that same position and respect that the Prophet no. was was the message was kind of I guess lost amongst the Umayyads at the end, and the Abbasids came in you know in a way to rebalance the um, not rebalance but I guess correct in their own opinion some of the and and the the Abbasids the, the Persia, multinational okay. nature of Islam yeah times, exactly. Yes. And and if I'm so this this castle is interesting the Kusur Amra because I remember in my reading of this there's frescoes in it and some of them are quite questionable from an early Islamic period <laughs> yes yes of, of women and oh and, complete depictions of human beings and women and uh, you know uh, you know yeah, oh there was all kinds of like you know things out there in the in the you know painting on the murals in fact there is a painting of the Khalifa himself and because these Byzantine painters were doing it he's drawn with like a classic halo around his head of a saint of a Christian saint or a Christian monarch that's amazing I didn't know that yeah. that's yeah. the and like you said because the Muslims had not established their own style of architecture yet yeah the Byzantine artists and artisans and 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 construction workers were critical same as in the Umayyad mosque in Damascus same as the dome of the rock in Jerusalem right yeah, yeah. this mosaic and this um 
and and just to go back on the fresco this is not to to say that look this is this is is one way or the other i think the indication with the fresco is and you find frescoes or depictions of women across the safar with iran period but that's much later on to see this so early on and that's yeah. around 16th 17th century but to see this within the 8th century right within within umayyad jordan i guess today yes. it's interesting because some of the complaints against the umayyads were that some of the rulers were very i guess i don't want to say they had I lost away a little bit so yeah they, 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 this is the thing there there was two things that i recall when i was doing my research i should highlight that like you know i'm not a historian by study but like i'm passionate about it right and i've you know immersed myself over the years and i have a large network so that's i'm just you know giving a little bit of a foundation to who i am here but two of the things i did read about this was the first of it, first of all the umayyads had adopted um they had taken over these regions but had also adopted a Byzantine stay, style of lifestyle basically which many were critical of you know they just they took over the form of government and just continued it and didn't really apply islamic uh, law in the way that a lot of people wanted it to be applied and uh, the second thing is that were they were very um they were very heavy handed in maintaining their power because there are also many stories of how they you know um any sort of any sort of power gain in other provinces were were oppressed very violently and uh, including like you know stories of the prophet's family being mistreated by them. yeah this is this was the ultimate downfall of the umayyads and, yes. and that's um they they barely i think were in power for uh, a century i think even less than that and, yes but their influence their influence and their architecture still stands today and there's a big in in Damascus for example i i don't know much about jordan area this it's it's still really much a umayyad city despite the the abbasids coming and going because of, of course the abbasids focus on baghdad not not um not damascus and jordan to see the the qusair um amrites it was never so tell me within the jordan area as what we call jordan today how much of a political significance was given to this region under and under any really of the 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 dynasties from the umayyads the abbasids to the maybe i don't know if the ayyubids were there in the mongols so uh jordan has this very interesting nature of being like a uh, a highway between the major cities it's it was never really um Uh, like a, you know a city hub even though we had a few of these cities so um it's very interesting to see like i think the umayyads put very you know high influence as i mentioned earlier on because they needed to maintain the connection with the bedouin tribes but after that it seems that jordan ha- had been like semi forgotten or just you know the, the you know obviously this is the whole levant there are no borders of jordan at the time so you know you'd have a couple of the cities Uh, in the south such as karak which is a very important southern city and then you'd have the trade routes coming through so uh the umayyads would definitely have like a heavy hand in like you know they they would build, they were building palaces throughout this the country but then the abbasids the only remaining abbasid uh influence on on the whole country is the uh, is this city that i mentioned humaima that they they plotted from and after that once they moved to um once they moved to iraq to baghdad um they kind of neglected the region now i should actually uh, 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 add that around the time the abbasids took over there were several other earthquakes that hit the area jordan's uh, very prone to earthquakes uh, as you might know and our listeners might not know um and so at the time there was this massive earthquake and it sort of 
they sort of moved on and didn't want, and like there was a massive population shift to, towards the newer capital, which is further away around Baghdad. Um, just to add a little bit more, like the other uh, Ayyubids were around, but they were, they were more of a fortification. And then we have the Ottomans who, you know, um, they built the Hejaz Railway, which is the most significant Ottoman uh, project in Jordan. That makes that makes sense. So it's it's, it's almost it's a transitory space, right? Between yeah, it, yeah. If you look exactly. at the importance of the the coastal regions of Lebanon, Levant, and Sham, they kind of connect the north to the south, and 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 Egypt is is also to, and east to the west. But Jordan yeah. is kind of the place you connect to. So the trade routes would have gone all the way across Persia through Jordan into into yeah. India, China. Yeah, and so and what, also up from Yemen all the way up to through Jordan and then east and west to the different directions as well. And this is one of the connecting things about the Nabataeans, why they grew in power, because they controlled the frankincense trade route for centuries. Okay. And but we should be we should give credit because Jordan, although it may have been that had that reputation, it was very much in the imagination of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and, and the other Sahaba. It wasn't it was it's a large amount of space. So it had strategic Yes. Value. It was it was very strategic. Um, and like I said, uh, or like if you want to jump back to the second major, there was three major battles that occurred in Jordan that um, basically established the Islamic foothold on all of the Levant. So the first one was that first skirmish that happened in uh, Mu'tah in the south. And then we had the second big one, uh, which was the significant one that happened in Tabakat Fahil or Abila. So it was it's a city up north. And then we have the... Um, the farthest uh, battle, up the, which which occurred at the top, which that was the major defeat and that helped the Muslims move into Damascus and Syria. I'm just trying to remember the name of it, um, of the battle. Um, one moment, I'm actually going to check my notes for you. <laughs> That's okay. While you, while you do that, I, I didn't know that also that there's um, still a Umayyad palace in, in, uh, in Amman, Amman Citadel. Yes, the Citadel, is, yeah. Which is incredible to see something from... I guess 700 AD. That's that's 1300 years old. That that is, of course, has had restorations, but that shows you the the significance of 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 the region of of Amman. Yeah. And Amman, of of course, is is a very old city. It goes uh, it's, it goes way back, um, way before the Muslims came. And yeah, oh, yeah. And back uh, to to the Ammonite, uh, like Iron Age, late Iron Age. Some of the bricks of the citadel are in Amman are, are like the, the 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 walls. Are still are can be dated back to the Iron Age, if you believe it or not. Um, I just I just looked up the notes. So the third major battle that I was talking about is Al Yarmouk battle, okay. which happened all the way up north, and it was it's literally maybe uh, forty or um, I'll actually measure it for you right now. It's about a hundred kilometers south of Damascus. So we're talking about like you know we're almost on the cusp of, of the Levant and Bilad Sham, you know where they were pushing up into, and this was the the a major battle that occurred that, like like I mentioned, um, allow, allowed us to get a foothold in the region. And how much? How much of? So, if we look at Jordan today, what, what are the what are the main sites? Uh, I, I should say areas. So, I think of Amman, and you mentioned Haman. Mm-hmm. Walk me through it. So, if I'm looking at, if I'm looking to go to Jordan, like I said earlier, let's go back to that question for maybe yeah. week ten days. What what is what should be on my itinerary, and then walk me through maybe some of the, some of the maybe sacred sites of Jordan. Let's go through maybe in, in that approach. Without... Yeah. Okay. Well, wh- whenever I talk to people, I usually divide, divide uh, Jordan is into, into like north, south, and west, and east is also included, but 
we're looking we're focusing on a religious standpoint so like east the only thing in the east, in the east is the uh, blessed tree uh, outside of safari which is west west of amman i'm sorry um, maybe let's start with the blessed tree let's ah, tell, yes. me, tell me what is the blessed tree <laughs> so uh, the blessed tree is believed to be the tree that the prophet sallallahu uh, alaihi sat under when, on his way to damascus with his uncle and uh, there's an islamic tradition which holds that there was a monk who was waiting for a prophet that would emerge from the arabian peninsula who was waiting and recognized the prophet himself as the forthcoming prophet the thing is with this tree is um many people have studied it and now it's established and recognized by the government as a religious site and the tree is absolutely magnificent uh it's literally a um it's 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 just this one green massive Lebanese oak tree that sits in the middle of the desert, and you know you can spot what this green dot from miles away. Now the issue with the pro with this is that the tree is only about five hundred and fifty years old, and uh, there have been like two major studies on it and like measurements taken to 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 double check, uh, which is a which is a little bit of a bubble burst for some people. <laughs> so when did this when did this tree become? I guess. Enter the popular imagination of of pilgrims. Was this quite early on? Uh, I think I think it was around the nineties, uh, okay. the ni the nineteen nineties. But I, I could be possibly wrong uh, about that. It might have been earlier because local legend has ha held that this is the tree for you know for the last few hundred years. But it entered the popular uh, the popular imagination possibly in the nineties when some Muslim scholars went for it to visit it and announced that this you know we've we've found the tree itself. That that's that's really interesting. It reminds me of many many sites that we we you know every every few years we find something new and and then it becomes it becomes a a, a new a new site of a. Uh, a new saint or a, a yes it's, it becomes venerated in its own way there's yeah there's a there's a joke uh in in the in iran that amongst the young and this is maybe amongst the less religious practicing is that every other week the government finds a, a new tomb of uh, imam zadeh meaning <laughs> one of the descendants of the prophet yeah and, and they build a, a beautiful shrine above it and and just to be critical and skeptical, and then I'll go back into having faith. The the idea is that it just drives more tourism, religious tourism. It does now. Yeah. And I mean, uh, like having... I mean, yeah, exactly. And I agree with you. Like there are like, there's multiple sites in Jordan which are recognized as this, as religious sites, but are also they have duplicates or sister sites in other countries. In other, you know, for example, the Cave of the Seven Sleepers. How many countries claim that they have the Cave of the Seven? It's in Turkey. Everybody knows in Turkey. <laughs> but we know it's ours. Sorry, we have one. <laughs> this is but, uh, a good example. Like, yeah, we have one here. There's one in in Syria. There's one in Palestine. Like there, there's they, they, you know, there's there's associations, and this is something that I found very interesting as I was doing my book because I mentioned this to you uh, separate notes earlier on. Um, I like to view things from two angles. You know, you have your historical research-based approach, which is is sort of the of the mind, and then you have then you have something. Uh, you know, you have the the faith and the religious, which is of the heart. And you know, when I visit this tree and I see these pilgrims visiting it and you know praying around it, the tree in my mind becomes the tree itself. You know, no matter it doesn't matter if it's five hundred and fifty years old. You know, once it becomes venerated and people go there. It, you know, it, it builds an atmosphere of 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 beauty around the place.
yeah. if you if you get my drift. What you know? let me ask you a question. That's a very that's a very interesting point you made. There's a veneration that becomes maybe the ritual itself. It's it's it has a there's an ambience about it that just having people of faith around you, it, mm -hmm. it can it can give you that peace and and maybe the tree isn't important itself. It's the it's the it's the idea of it. Um, and Islam has never really been uh, heavily, heavily, uh, I guess, cemented within the the relic idea that you know if this thing is the most important thing because we know it is faith plays a part of that. What what makes this tree? If you look at it visibly, you said you can see this from from miles away, and it's in desert. So is there something miraculous about it? Because it is it is green. It is it's yes. isolated. It's there's nothing else around it that is similar. Honestly, yes. So basically, it's the oldest and only standing tree in the entire area for maybe a hundred kilometers around, and it's massive. You know, you can you can essentially, you know, I spent a night out there a few years ago photographing it at night, and you know, three of my friends managed to sleep underneath its foliage. That's how big it is. Wow. Um, and you know, and uh, it just it just like it is this magical spot because you know it's literally on the cusp. It's between the Syrian and uh, desert and the uh, the Saudi northern desert, and uh, also on the on the edge of this area called the Harra, which is the most desolate area you will ever see. Uh, it's like this volcanic rock area, and so it's a testament to life you know, in this area. And, and, you know, instantly, even if, you know, you do not associate it with religion, it's just this magical, uh, you know, the magical existing tree that's they're out there. And you, you just question, you're like, how did this come here? How did this survive out here? It's incredible. Yeah, there's something, subhanAllah, there's, there's something about it, right? It's now going back into the faith and love side of it. It, mm. it, it there's, there's, without doubt, there's something, something beautiful about it. And, how far so how far is this from Amman? Um let's have a see. It is um I'm guessing not guessing here, but like a rough estimation is about it's about 150 kilometers from Amman. Okay. Okay. Yeah. East of Amman. And it's a, you pass by like the uh oasis town of Azraq. And by the way, the, the route to it, I think you have it on your website where you've uh plotted a bunch uh, a number of sites to visit. So like a number of the uh, the Umayyad castles are on that route towards the the tree, so people do usually do like a day trip out of Amman, visit you know uh, Amra, Kharane, Azor castles, and then they visit the tree and uh, by the end of the day and come back again. So that's one of the routes we were like we, we've been jumping all over the place, but that's one of the routes if you were to go to east and to visit the tree, like there's this beautiful like you know string of Islamic history that you can like you know visit on the way there. But you can do this in a day trip, you said. Oh yes, certainly. Okay. Uh, yeah. Just just before we move on from this tree, I the the story of uh, uh, the young prophet uh, upon him be peace when he was going to um, to Syria. This this is that whole journey itself is quite interesting, and there's a lot of mystical elements to it because yes, I read some interpretations. There's a book called I think the importance of Sham in Islam or some, something to that effect, and it talks about there's many different variations of this whether he even made it to to Damascus yes. or to Syria because he was stopped and he was warned against it. And then the question is how far, which, so beyond what tree he rested under, Allah, Allah Alam, whether how far he even went into Sham. And because there's in the popular imagination, especially like in the 90s, now you mentioned seven sleepers in Damascus. There's a there's a mountain, Kasyun. There's a, mm -hmm. there's a, there's a cave there, which is meant to be the seven sleepers. And there's- Yes, a, indeed. Right, so amongst that single mountain, again, there's, 
there's so many attributions of religious significance. And do we, so you said there's doubles of many places in. Yeah. For Jordan. example, in, so in Jordan, is, like, yeah. In Jordan, like uh, the two major ones that I always like think of immediately is we have uh, tombs of both uh, Nabi Suleiman and Nabi Dawood. And, you know, of course, they were, they, I'm, you, know, er, you know, logic dictates that they would have been buried around Jerusalem because they were the kings of Jerusalem at some point. Um, but we still have these shrines that are venerated and people visit and pray there, for example. Okay. Um, one of, our, one of our other most beautiful sites in the south near Petra is Mount Aaron, uh, Nabi Harun. And it's the highest peak in all, of, um, in all of Petra. And on top of it is this Mamluk shrine, white dome shrine. And uh, you need to hike for about three hours to get to it. Um, but even that, for example, uh, other people say, no, Nabi Harun was buried in Sinai. He's not buried outside of Petra. So, like, you know, there are these contests. Not, I wouldn't say contested. I call them sister sites or, like, you know, they're related. They're the same. They're, they're, you know, we can't ever really, you know, prove that this is where this person is buried or, you know, you know prove which one is true. But it, does that even matter is the question, you know? No, that's a really important point because I think the wording is important here. Because if you look at the word contest, Mm-hmm. The idea is that we need to have a black and white answer. To yeah, that. you know, one and zero. Like this, this has to be the site where this person is buried. No, why? You know, and yeah, this always takes me recently. And I've been reading more about the idea of having multiple truths in Islam. And we, it never really stopped curiosity. By the same time, it never stopped faith. People wouldn't stop visiting a site because there was another claim site. It was both of them. Yeah. Can, both of them can be side by side. So I think calling it sister sites is a is a good way. To maybe resolve that, yeah, and um, and not and not touch upon sensibilities or sensitivities of of different lands and cultures, because Palestine, like you said, would probably dominate most of most of Islamic history in yeah. a wider region, I guess. Exactly, exactly. especially to... the, especially the early prophets, you know, because that's where they would be have been most active. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's that's. Can I just? Maybe... Uh, I wanted. To, I just wanted to mention one more thing about the the blessed tree. Um, uh, modern scholarship uh, has indicated that the possible place where this the actual event happened is in the south of Jordan, a uh, south house of Amman, in an area called Omar Rasas, and it's an old Byzantine city. Um, and the reason why scholars believe that this might have been the place where the actual event happened is because it was a very strong Christian city, and it was one of the rem- last Christian cities on the frontier before the Arabian Peninsula. And uh, the other thing that's really significant about the site is that there's a Christian stylite monk tower, and it's the only one in Jordan. If you, if, I'm not sure if you know what that is. Do you? No, walk me through it. So um, uh, there was this um, movement in uh, Christendom in the Levant uh, during the Byzantine era, era, where these monks would build towers and spend their entire lives on top of these towers worshiping God. And the most famous one is uh, St. Simeon in northern uh, Syria. And uh, they would build these towers. And then eventually, like, you know, they would become places of pilgrimage to come visit the, you know, the, the, where this monk had spent his entire life and it would grow. And in, in Umar Asas in the south, there's this one of these towers left. So it's, there's this association of, like, you know, uh, monastic orders in the area and, you know, be, being on the frontier, which makes it very plausible. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there a... Is there a, maybe a silly question? Is this is there a tree in that site or that area? No, unfortunately not. Yeah, 
but because you know the other thing about trees is you know like they do obviously last thousands of years but um in in desolate climates like jo like jordan you know they have limited lifespan and also human expansion and urbanization come that come in where there was used to be a beautiful tree in a city outside of amman called assault which we'll get to in a bit i call i personally call it the city of the city of uh, of the prophets because there's maybe four uh, uh, what do you call it old prophets buried there and uh job uh if you've ever heard uh, i think the arabic term for uh, job is um i'll have to look it up in a, a second but there used to be a huge tree up until the early uh, 1900s and there are pictures of it but it died and they just cut it down okay yeah that yeah this this it makes sense this is very typical right with expansion yeah these places don't last and and also like you know with ma- with humans expanding in areas water resources are diminishing you know so who are the other prophets in in this in the city you said uh, oh so salt we have uh, we have let me have a look now so we have so, uh, so Yusha, Ayub, by the way yeah. Ayub, yes of yeah. course Ayub, Nabi Ayub. and we have uh, Yusha, known as Joshua we have uh, Asher and uh, who is a Jewish prophet um, we have Job uh, and Gad so there's there are multiple and we also have a shrine to Al Khadr near there as well That's so- and on and on the outskirts of the city, we also have the shrine to Nabi Shraib. Sorry, to which one? Nabi Shraib. Okay, okay. And so, uh, amongst amongst these sites, do we is there interest amongst non-Muslim? So, do you have programs from the Christian tradition as well as Jew, Jewish tradition visit these sites? Yes, in Salt, there are many people who visit these sites. Um, and in fact, we have, like for example, Al Khadr, we have shared shrines in Jordan. So we have a shared shrine outside of Amman, which is absolutely beautiful. It's a small shrine, and when you enter, two of the walls have you know depictions of of um, Saint George, who is associated with Al Khadr, and the other two walls have uh, Hadith and Quranic verses talking about Al Khadr. So like there's these shared shrines we have around, and they're visited by both uh, both religions. And has that even? Um... I guess Jordan, if you compare it to the region, it's relatively safe. So has that continued? Oh yes, it's very, very safe out here. Uh, we don't ha- we have no problems, and people like we have lots of tourists. I'm, I mean, before COVID, we were having up to about a million and a half visitors a year. So do Pete, do a lot of people know about these sites? I'm guessing no, because if I was if I think about Western no. tourism, you go to Petra and you go to Oman. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, that would really be a somebody who's a historian or into religious pilgrimage from from different ways would would come to these places, right? So yeah, not, they're not very popular, I guess, from that from that perspective. No, I mean, like the Christian sites obviously are very popular because we have we have uh, like it's basically certified question mark, um, and it's UNESCO World Heritage site. The the baptism site in, in the River Jordan, it's actually on the Jordanian side, and that is visited by hundreds of thousands of, of pilgrims a year. But the interesting thing is the Muslim the Muslim uh, sites, even though they are absolutely beautiful, like the the Hashemite um, monarchy here has spent the last twenty years rebuilding the mosques in beautiful uh, in a beautiful modern fashion, like that was still traditional. So you go to these things, and they're not just you know old dilapidated uh, shrines; they're actually modern, beautiful sites. And for example, the site of Abu Ubaidah, it has a 
it has a, a large mosque, it has a library, it has uh, the shrine itself, and they're all very beautiful. And, and are they rebuilding or restoring this in, in the original styles, or there's a, there's a new Jordanian? It, it's, yeah, it's a mix of, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of a modern style with respect to the traditions, I would say. Um, in 2018, I, uh, I spent a whole year photographing maybe 45 of these sites. Uh, for the Royal Hashemite Court, so uh, I had the pleasure of like actually going around and and seeing them and like detailing each one of them for them. And they, that honestly, like you know, I'm a I'm a traditionalist in terms of architecture, and I I actually think that they did a really good job with this. Yeah, that's good to know. I I find that it's difficult to maybe there's a few yeah, it's so very challenging. Uh, one really cool thing I should add is like for example in Mazar, uh, down in the south where the big, the first major battle happened in Mutta, they incorporated the old mosques minarets into the modern complex and it's really nice and you have pictures of these in your book oh uh, yes yes my bu- my book doesn't really uh, like there are books i can suggest you read like my book uh yeah the last section i cover maybe 15 sites out of the 50 sites in jordan like the most the most ones that were important to me to you know to share with people because i had to sh- i had to split it up with like maybe 100 and other other sites in the book <laughs> um but yeah um, so if you know if people would pick up my book, they would see some of the you know a mixture of the uh, Islamic sites as well as the um, the biblical ones. Mm-hmm. That's really good. That's that's amazing. I, I think I think the fact that you've done that as a as a guide is um, it's it's important. I find that we're missing that. I don't want to say Muslim angle, but I feel I, I feel as if when when you have Muslims who are documenting the sites, there's a different way to doing it, and there's a different. Uh, um, tradition the way we look at things is is is, is different and yes. i've struggled to find books on on egypt for example um and and syria which are not written by which are written by muslims and yeah and, and it's not to say the scholarship is poor it's it's often very good it's it's the question is why why don't we have uh, muslims doing this so which is one of the reasons why i was really impressed by your work and 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 i'm jumping all over the place but i know you're doing a book on Jordan, <laughs> on jerusalem which, yes. Again, we've promoted at Sacred Footsteps because it just it makes a lot of sense, and and it's so much much needed. I think vacuum. That yeah, to and we can go into that a little bit because this this links. I mean, um, when I uh, so basically like for our listeners, um, I've been working for the last three years on doing a beautiful documentary fo- coffee table book about Al Haram al Sharif in Jerusalem, um, and it's basically exploration of the entire. Uh, complex every single you know building and its history and the history of the complex in general anyway but like just jumping back um, why i came upon this project was i was in jerusalem in 2019 and i was i'm a huge book collector i love books and i I, you know i was like i want to find a a really nice book that you know that i can learn from about the haram and uh, because i have a bit of a a stronger western uh, education you know i always go for the english books and to my surprise, I couldn't find a single English book that was accessible that I could buy uh, about the Haram. And this is the, you know, the third holiest site in Islam. <laughs> and we there's no no books for the English-speaking diaspora around the world. And so that, then and there, I was like, okay, this is something I'm, I have to do. And I started working on the project. But it was it was a complete surprise to me. This is this is um it's surprising, but it's also not shocking. I decided a quick look on Amazon <laughs> while we're doing this. And 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 you're right. It's yeah. It's shocking. It's shocking to see um, 
to my to my knowledge, there are three books about the Haram. I know two books for I think if I recall, there's one by, that was was produced but was never published. It was only donated to to, to a couple of libraries around the world, and it's a massive uh, book. And there's another one that exists, but like it costs like five hundred dollars to buy. And I, for me, that's inaccessible to people for your average yeah. person. And and I think this accessibility is an is an important point because we we often repeat traditions that we've heard from our parents or from our neighbors or family or whoever it is when we travel to Alaksa, for example, or even even Medina or Makkah. Yeah. And and especially the young uh, listeners, I think we've we've maybe become more accustomed to the idea of self self learning and research. So when you're going to somewhere. You you want to do some reading independently, and having that kind of work is is a good complement. It's a good travel companion with you, and yes. many places are still missing that. So your your book on Jordan, for example, how how was that received, and and what has it changed in, in your in your perspective on how Jordan is visited? Um, it was actually well, very well received. A lot of the educational institutions and research institutions in Jordan like love the book. And, um, you know, I often hear professors tell me, Bashar, like when everybody asks us for a guidebook or like an interesting book about Jordan, we refer your book, which, you know, makes me a very proud and a bit like, you know, embarrassed at the same time. Um, uh, but, uh, it was, it was very well received, but it, 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 like, I, it's still like, I don't know how to explain it to you, but like, it's still a process in the works, and it's you know still trying to get you know like you know pushing it, even though it's a few years old, and like you know I've sold maybe almost uh, three thousand copies of the book so far. Um, uh, the in in terms of impact, I mean, for me, uh, the impact was that you know like I got to work with the royal court to help. Like one of the like the, the things that came from this was that the royal court reached out to me and asked me to photograph the, the religious sites in Jordan which gave me the opportunity to influence and say like, okay, I visited this site. There's a bit of disrepair here. Maybe we could do something about this there, you know, this sort of thing. And that was really, that for me, that was very significant and helped me, you know, I felt like I was doing something and helpful, helping, if you know what I mean. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's incredible. Yeah. But like the thing is, like I said, like the, for some reason, um, you know, like you were saying, like Jordan, uh, Jordan has this limited uh, tourism, like appeal like people all only focus on petra but even like our our own tourism industry we have the thing where we call it the golden triangle which is the three major sites of jordan where people are just shipped to between and uh, you know there's there's a, a sort of a lack of promotion in terms of like hey you know we have these amazing sites and it's safe to visit and it's they're actually quite beautiful to visit in jordan walk me through what is this golden triangle the golden triangle is basically uh, petra uh, Jarash, which is a Roman Byzantine era city, and uh, Ajlun. Uh, um, oh, sorry, Petra. Uh, sorry, Jarash and Ajlun are two sites. So one's a Byzantine city, and the other one's an Ayyubid fortress. And then you have the northern part, which is another Byzantine city called Umqais. And people are basically herded between the three of those. And if they're lucky, they also get to do um, the Dead Sea and Wadi Rum, you know. And everything else is neglected. Yeah, that that's that's my impression of it as well. Um, so from the from just to summarize, as a as a visitor to Jordan for maybe ten days, yeah. Let's just summarize. What are the so we've we've covered okay. this already. So we talked about like this is great now. So what I can say to you is like you're coming to visit me in in Jordan. I would say the first thing we do is you would stay in Amman for a couple of nights, uh, two nights. 
But one night visiting Amman and the second night going out to the city of Salt, which is basically now incorporated into the larger metropolis of Amman. And in Salt, you know, you have maybe five to six religious sites, uh, biblical prophets, and uh, it's in, in the old city. So that's one one thing I would recommend. The second thing I would say would be going down to the Jordan Valley and driving all the way up north to the par- northern part. And in this leg of the tour, you know, you start off with visiting uh, the real holy site of the biblic- uh, the baptism site. Alongside it is, is Tel Mar Elias, which is uh, uh, Elijah's hill, and then you go up. As you're heading up, you literally stop off at like mosque after mosque and Sahabi after Sahabi all the way up. So, you know, like I'll give you some examples of the Sahaba. We have Dirar bin Azwar. We have uh, Abi Ubaidah bin Jarrah. We have Akra bin Abi Jahil is buried there. Shar Habil bin Hasna. Um, then you have the Pella battle site. And then you have several other. So it's a beautiful day where you're visiting all these really nice mosques and like the Sahaba on the way up. That's number two that I recommend. And then number three is a visit down to Mazar, uh, which is, uh, uh, you know, you take you leave Amman and for the extra beauty, you can take the King's Highway down to Mazar, uh, which crosses over massive canyons. And it's really beautiful to see. And once you get to Amazar, you have the three Sahaba who are buried out there as well. Uh, if you've got extra time, then I would start ex- you know, recommending people go east to visit Blessed Tree. And, um, you know, maybe some of the uh, sites in the north, uh, the, you know, near Irbit, you know, so you have other Sahaba. Uh, Abu Darda is buried out there and you have the shrines for Prophet David and uh, Al-Khadr, for example. That's a, that's a long list. That's much longer. A long than list, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, Matt, uh, I, I keep telling people, like, when people tell me, like, you know, uh, we're coming for a week, what should we do? And I was like, you add another week onto that. <laughs> yeah, and this is, these are just the religious sites. I mean, if you're interested in archaeology, there's, you know, triple the amount of things, and they're significant. That's fascinating. Okay, I, I, yeah. think, I think you've almost convinced me um, to, to come spend two weeks with you. And, yes, and, 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 <laughs> yes, and I'd love it. I think, inshallah, inshallah, I would love, to, Allah would love to visit soon. Um, I think that for me, that's a pretty good summary of what to see in Jordan because, yes, just from this alone, I think I have a better idea. And it's it's a shame, it's a shame we don't view Jordan with that sense. But I, I think your work on this is, is, um, is, is admirable. It's, it's yeah, not often you. we see that happening. Um, is there anything else that that we've missed that? Before oh my gosh, ask the most important question. Uh, I, I'm I'm sure we've we've missed something, but like you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll chat with people when they hear. You know, if they want ever want to reach out, they can always email me. I love talking to people, and I also always tell people this that um, if you ever want to know about a site, message me, and I will send you the GPS locations immediately. I think maybe we can discuss doing like a like a GPS an article. Yeah, an article. yeah. We yeah we have a we have one on Cairo, um, Islamic Cairo, which uh, which one of our uh, contributors uh, Omar did for us, and and it has. You wouldn't believe it. Hundreds of thousands of Google Maps. So you can yeah. use that yourself to to navigate, and um, and we've written so much on Cairo. I think I think we need to do the same thing now for parts of parts of Jordan, inshallah. That would be great. Um, I have actually I have two more questions before we before we end this. One is culturally, where does where does Jordan sit? Now I I have many Palestinian friends, and I know there's a big Palestinian population in Jordan. So when you look at, when you look at culture of Jordan. How similar or dissimilar is it to say to Palestine, Syria, uh, Hejaz? Where does it stand from a 
from the food, music, and just just the way people people are. Do they have their own unique identity, or is it a combination of different? Uh, it's interesting. So I would say uh, Jordan, like as it's has over the centuries, it's as a crossroads. So um, you know, the the further south you go down, the further close you get to the Hejaz, the more people are very Hejaz-like. You know, Bedouins of the south, and you know, it's the, the conditions are the same. Whereas up north, Amman, Amman is only an hour drive from Jerusalem and maybe an hour and 10 minute drive from Damascus. So Amman is essentially culturally Levantine in the sense of the Jerusalem, Amman, Damascus, you know, triangle, if you want to call it that, if you know what I mean. So uh, we are very much, you know, uh, Shami in that manner. But we obviously, because of borders and because of cultural influence and the influx of all the refugees, because Jordan is a very much a refugee country. Whenever there's conflict in the region, we have a huge influx of, of refugees. You know, we have the Palestinians come in. We have, we had Iraqis come in during the, you know, the Iraqi wars, and then we had the Syrians recently because of the Syrian civil war. So we, we, it's, it's always this like every decade we have this injection of culture, and it's actually quite. I, I, currently, in my opinion, like Amman is the melting pot of the region because we get these influxes. Yeah, Subhanallah. That that that. It's a good way to understand it, and yeah. I didn't I didn't realize how close it is to Jerusalem, but it makes it makes sense, and yeah. and these borders are... really shaped and changed the region, right? Because yeah. one there was a period of time when you, where you could go all the way from Istanbul all the way to Cairo, crossing all of these cities, and it's just, uh, dur- during yeah. my own father's generation. Like my uncle used to go to boarding school in Jerusalem, and it was, he used to take the bus every day. Take, uh, 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 once a week, he'd come once back. But then, like one of the funny stories of our family is that we one day lost him. We didn't know where he was, and he'd taken the bus up to Istanbul. <laughs> and and it just now modern borders and modern conflicts—that's unfathomable, <laughs> you know. And back, but back then, it was just easy access. Um, you know, I remember another story of my grandfather picking up my father and my uncle, and driving along the coast of Palestine up to uh, Lebanon in Beirut, and it was only maybe a two-hour drive up north, versus now, which is a ten-hour drive. That's that's incredibly sad to think yeah. about that. And th- this is on, honestly one of the reasons why I've sort of changed my frame of mind. When people ask me where I'm from, I like to tell people I'm, you know, Levantine first, and then I'm Jordanian. You know, I'm of the Jordanian area of the Levant, but I like to tell people I'm Shami. I'm, you know, I'm from the Levant, and I and I, I kind of take pride in that because it's it's such a small area. No, I think I agree with that. I think that's a very good summary. Um, but thank you, thank you so much for your time. I think this is yeah, no, this has been enlightening. Thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed it, and very I think, happy to have done yeah, this. inshallah, let's let's do another one soon, and we can maybe focus on um, uh, a different part of it. Maybe even going to your work on Jerusalem. Um, yes. Just before we end, you mentioned to me um, privately you're working on another book in Jordan. That's oh. Yes, currently um, I'm working on a, 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 so basically I call this the second book because it's going to be published in the next few weeks and it's called Unique and Outstanding. And it's basically a study of the Jordan's UNESCO World Heritage Site list. Um, currently we've got uh, five uh, listed, you know, and recognized sites and we have another 15 on the tentative list. So we did this beautiful coffee table book, just exploring each individual one with uh, text by, you know, scholars and like, you know, uh, 
uh, we have uh, this, uh, what do you call it? Sorry. We have a, like the one of the royal family members who is a very active member of the archaeological community do the writing as well for the book. So it's it's quite important. It's set to be published next month. Okay. And then uh, the Aqsa book, inshallah, uh, at the end of the year. Uh, I think I'm aiming to go to print by December. Okay, inshallah. And what we'll do yeah. is we'll, we'll post the links to, to your website and your books in the in the description details for the podcast and and inshallah people can can visit them and, and learn and, and maybe get copies themselves so bashar thank you so much um thank you and just before we end actually i forgot my final question ah hit me now i've been told aman has the best kunafa oh i, I haven't been i can't confirm or deny and and i think now i was told the best is in damascus i went and i found the best was in Istanbul, made by Syrians. But then ah. the Palestinians tell me is the best is in Istanbul. In, in, in. <laughs> so then Amman is thrown into the mix. So how good is uh, Jordanian well, sweets? Well, I will say it's definitely up there. Like, but the thing is, I'm not a Kanafa man. So um, I'm probably not the best person to ask. But in my experience, Amman is up there. Like I've had uh, Kanafa in, in the, throughout the region. And um, yeah, it's, I think it's a, definitely a tie between Amman and uh and damascus although everyone tells me nablus is the place to go this that. is what i've heard so i know yeah. palestine inshallah yes i think <laughs> yes i think you and i need to go on a journey where we start in amman yes. go to uh nablus and then uh, go to damascus and then to istanbul and it should be the kunafa trail yeah, yeah the kunafa diaries we'll call there it there you go we do the <laughs> yeah. motorcycle <laughs> yes <laughs> perfect okay Assalamu alaikum. Right. Thank you so right. much, uh, Bashar, inshallah. And uh, um, thank you again so much for, for sharing your knowledge. I think everyone I would, uh, would, would appreciate and, and thank you for your time. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. You can find all the books mentioned in this episode and more in the show notes on sacredfootsteps.com. Find us everywhere else on social media at Sacred Footsteps and Twitter at S Footsteps. Thank you.